so two friends were talking, and they were talking about religious stuff, and one of them says to the other, pulls out a $20 bill and says, I'll give you this $20 if you can recite the Lord's Prayer. And the other fellow goes, oh, that's easy, man, no problem. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the guy holding the $20 bill laughed at him. He goes, that's crazy, man. I didn't think you knew it. <laughs> that, by the way, if you didn't know, is not the Lord's Prayer. That's uh, Here's what I know. If you live long enough, you will soon discover that life isn't all fun. Uh, that bad and evil days abound. Ephesians 6.13, the Apostle Paul writes about the evil day, the day of evil. And he's not talking about just a bad day. He's not talking about when things just go wrong. He's talking about an evil day. When you know that you're doing everything that you can do to be right with God. And as far as you know, things might have been out of step in the past. But right now, you, you know that as far as you're concerned, you're, you're okay with him. But yet all hell is breaking out on your life. And, and if you've been on this earth long enough, you probably can look back, or maybe you're in now, one of those evil days when it feels like all hell is breaking out against you. It's not a normal bad day. It is an evil day. And though everything within you is trying to stay faithful and stay right with God, that feels as though something big is against you, is against your health, is against your relationships, is against your marriage, is against your finances, your hopes are falling apart, your dreams are coming crumbling down, everything you've tried to build and to get in place is crumbling before. You know it's a bad, evil day, unlike normal bad days. And though you're trying to walk in faith and be faithful, you know that something big is against you. That's what Paul talks about when he talks about an evil day. And it is in that day, it's in that day that we begin to understand what the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers. Though the problem shows up in flesh and blood, the wrestle isn't primarily against flesh and blood. There is an evil day because something insidious is at work. It shows up in the real physical world, but that's not where it originates. And it's in that day, and you know if you've been in that day, it's in that day that you know you need an access point to God that's deeper than what you've ever had before. Because everything you've tried before doesn't work in that day. Your friends don't have answers. You don't have answers. And I guarantee you, playing church doesn't give you any answers. It's an evil day. And if you've ever been in that moment or those moments where you need to address the manifestation of the attack. The attack isn't flesh and blood, but it manifests itself in flesh and blood. And if you're in that day where nothing before it that has worked works now, if you know you need to address the manifestation of that attack, you must first address the spiritual origination of it. How do you do that? 
How do you address the spiritual origination of the manifestation of those evil days? You do it through prayer. You do it through prayer. So I started this series. I decided to start this series on how to pray. Uh, for a couple reasons. Here's one. I just want to share with you why this series. One, because I firmly believe this. I believe this with all my heart. That God is the same today as God is in the Bible. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't say God's the same today as he was in the Bible because God isn't a was. There's nothing about God that is a was. God is a is. And God is the same today as God is in the Bible. And prayer is the access point to that God. Now, now, just for a moment, imagine if God were to intervene in your life, in your reality, in your seen world the way God did in the Bible. Imagine. There's, there's little that I want in my life more than that. And because God is the same God today that he is in the Bible, how do I get to that God? Well, prayer is the access point. The other reason why I choose to do this series is because we don't wrestle against what we see. We see what we see, but we don't wrestle against it. We might fight against what we see, but that's not where the real wrestle lies. Understand this. If all we know is what we see, we don't see all there is to know. We have to understand that. And if we're going to choose to, 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 to walk with God, to walk with Jesus, we have to understand that if all we know is what we see, we don't see all there is to know. See, the, the fact is that everything physical and visible originates and emanates from the invisible and the spiritual. Now, we're not tuned in oftentimes to the invisible and the spiritual, so all we see is the visible and physical. And when, we, when, when the invisible and spiritual manifests itself in the vis, physical and visible, we try to treat the physical and visible without ever getting to the invisible and spiritual. But if we never get to the invisible and spiritual, the visible and physical will never be fixed. You're following with me, right? And so how do you get to the invisible and spiritual? It's through prayer. It's through prayer. Prayer, though very basic activity for most people, religious people pray in order to have some type of connection with God. But even non-religious people pray. When the fit hits the shan, they're not above praying. People who don't go to church, who don't believe in you, don't believe in God, boy, when it hits it, they pray. See, a lot do it, but few can adequately describe it. A lot do it, but they've learned to do it by watching others, by listening to others. They haven't learned to do it through Scripture and by listening to Jesus. And though prayer is elementary in its essence, it's simply defined as talking to God, yet it is one of the most complex subjects we can ever dive into. And so we started this series, How to Pray. Please hear me. This is one of the most profound things that we can learn to do, that you can learn to do. This is, this is one of the most transformational habits that you can ever learn to develop because it touches heaven and brings heaven down to earth. 
Now, with your permission, what I care, I don't care about your permission. Here's the thing. If you choose to stay with us in this series, you need to understand that I'm going to push us in this series. So just get ready for that. Uh, this is not a polite series on prayer. Um, now, let me just make sure that some of you don't get too wigged out by what I'm going to say through this series. I don't believe in prosperity preaching, and I don't believe in prosperity praying. Prosperity preaching and prosperity praying is using the Bible to get what we want, and I don't believe in that. But I do believe in biblical preaching and biblical praying. And the difference is that I want what the, what's in the Bible to be in my life. And so I'm not at any level talking about prosperity, anything. I'm just talking about getting the Bible into life. This, this topic of prayer, I mean, just think about it for a minute. How ridiculous is the whole notion of prayer? Think about it. How can a human communicate and talk with the creator of the universe? That just, when you think about the logic of prayer and the logistics of prayer, it, it really doesn't make sense. How can the seen communicate with the unseen? How does God hear all the prayers all at once? And think about what's prayed. One farmer prays for rain because the field is dry. The other farmer prays for sunny days because he just cut the hay. And if it rains, the hay is going to rot. How does God manage all that? Which prayer is right? Why are some prayers answered quickly, some take a long time to get here, and some get a big fat no? How do you know what you should pray for? I mean, when you think about the whole notion of prayer, this is crazy. Not only that, when you think about how to pray, like, if you look in the Bible, and this is, I always want to go back to the Bible, especially talking about prayer, like people in the Bible prayed laying down, prostrate. They prayed standing. They prayed kneeling. Only one time in the Bible was the posture of prayer sitting. And, yet, and I'm not saying anything about this. It doesn't matter if you stand, sit, kneel, or lay down. But I'm just saying only one time in Scripture is there recorded someone praying sitting down. Yet where are most, well, how do most of our prayers happen? When we're sitting down. Like not standing in reverence or falling on flat, flat on our face because of the God whom we're addressing. Just pray as if it's no big deal. Sit down like it doesn't matter. Prayers in the Bible, there's long prayers in the Bible. There's really short prayers in the Bible. There's repeating prayers in the Bible. And there's spontaneous prayers in the Bible. There's prayers in the Bible that are private in your prayer closet. And there's prayers in the Bible that are public. It's all over the map. But please understand this about prayer. This is really important. Just because one prays does not mean one receives. But one will not receive until one prays. See, this, this isn't a magic formula. Just because one prays doesn't mean one will receive. But one ain't going to receive until they pray. And you might ask the question, as has been asked of me many times, and I've actually wrestled with quite a bit, especially in my younger days, if God knows what I need ahead of time, why do I need to pray about it? Anybody thought that? Like if he knows ahead of time and he loves me, why do I have to ask? Can I tell you why? Because prayer is about a relationship. And get this, prayer 
should be reflective of the relationship that already exists. That's why we pray, even though God already knows what we need ahead of time. Because all it is is a reflection of the relationship that's already in place. To say, I shouldn't have to pray about it, it says then, I have no relationship. It's as easy as that. Understand this too. Without a relationship with Jesus, prayer is just the babbling of someone who's acting religiously. If prayer is about a relationship, then praying without a relationship with Jesus is just babbling of someone acting religious. Do you understand? I don't know if that comes across harsh, but that's just the way this goes. This is prayer. I don't know if any of you ever sat through a teaching on prayer before, but we're going to spend some weeks on this very thing. We'll get to how in just a moment in the weeks to come. But before we get to the how of praying, I want to talk about the who that we're addressing. This whole thing falls apart and the whole thing is of no effect if the who to whom we're praying, this is the important part of it. See, in Matthew 28, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, Jesus said these words. Now, understand this. This is what Jesus said. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, there's implications to that. All authority in heaven, in the heavenly places, where our struggle originates against the rulers of his powers, all authority in the heavenly places and all authority on earth has been given to Jesus. So then, there are implications to that authority. See, if our focus is on the one who died and the one who beat death, if our focus is on the one who broke out of the grave, if our focus is on the one who is life and who is power and who is authority, get this, if this is the one that we pray to, the implications are profound. Uh, see, I, I think a lot of church people have forgotten to whom it is we pray. If this is the one that we're praying to, the implications are profound. And if God doesn't want nor respond to religious repetition and begging, but does respond to this relational connection, what are the implications and what are the possibilities for your prayers? I really am praying that this series hits home. Because I know that's God's will for you and for me. And for this church. If this is the one, this Jesus, to whom all authority in heaven, in the heavenly places and on earth, to whom all authority has been given, if this is the one who beat death, who broke out of the grave, who is all power, who is life, who is authority, if this is the one who answers prayers, what might we expect from our prayers? Now, a part of me thinks, feels as though many people don't expect much of their prayers because they don't understand who Jesus is. And if this is the one to whom we pray, and this is the one that answers prayers, why don't we see miraculous answers regularly? Have you ever thought about this, or is this just me? 
I, I guess it's me. All right, well, here's the thing. We're going to talk about it. Here's what I want us to understand. In the book of Matthew, we're going to go to the book of Matthew and talk about how Jesus addresses prayers. Now, there's similar uh, accounts, what's in Matthew, in the book of Luke. And so we're going to be in Matthew, I think, 6 today, but you could parallel this with Luke 11. And we're going to get into Luke, but we're going to start in Matthew. The book of Matthew records Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Why did Jesus teach his disciples how to pray? Well, here's the thing you got to understand. These were all Jews. They had grown up in this religious culture. They knew how to pray already. The Jews have all these prayers you have to pray after everything you do. It is ridiculous the amount of organized, repetitive prayers that, that they knew, that they learned when they were, since they were children. So they already knew how to pray, but they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, Luke. They had seen Jesus already heal people, cast out demons, provide miraculously provision, raise a dead person. If you look in the other uh, gospels leading up to this point, they saw him like walk on water and turn water to wine. I mean, all kinds of stuff. They've seen him do all this. And what they knew is that after all that they saw Jesus do, they knew the source of his power, the source of his authority, the source and origination of his miracles was his prayer life. And they didn't say, teach us how to walk on water, teach us how to heal people, teach us how to raise people from the dead, teach us how to get a bunch of fish so we can make a lot of money. What they said was, teach us how to pray. Because we understand that everything you do comes out of your prayer life. There are so many times in Scripture where it occurs Jesus going to a lonely pray, place to pray. It was his custom. It was his practice. It was his habit. See, for Jesus, prayer was his connection to the Father. And his actions flowed out of that connection with his Father through prayer. Those closest to Jesus knew that prayer was the foundation of his authority and his activity. Those closest to him knew that prayer was the foundation of his authority and his activity. So they said, teach us how to pray. Do you want to know what Jesus said? They say, teach us how to pray. This is what Jesus said. In Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, Jesus says. So let me just stop there. The assumption is that you're going to pray. He didn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. Jesus said a couple other things that are assumptions. When you give, it's an assumption you're going to. When you fast, <laughs> i tell you what. Everybody needs to be fast right now doing COVID-19 because if you don't got COVID-19, you're going to gain COVID-19. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's like, <laughs> you all need to be fasting. <laughs> Riches are getting tight. Anyway, so the assumption is you're going to give, you're going to fast, and you're going to pray. He says when you do it, do it the right way. He says when you pray, don't do it like the hypocrites. Well, how the hypocrites pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. He says, truly, I tell you. He says, I'm telling you the truth right now. They've received their reward in full. Means, you understand what that means? When we do religious activity in order to be seen and propped up by people, that's all we get from it. We don't get nothing from God. 
And he's not obligated to answer any of those prayers. When you pray, he says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans. For they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So before Matthew records Jesus' words on how to pray, he first records words on how not to pray. And so he says, don't be like the hypocrites. That's the first thing he says. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, Matthew uses the word hypocrites more than anybody else in all of the Bible combined. You put the word hypocrite and all the other Bible, all the Bible combined together, and it doesn't match the, as many times as Matthew used the word hypocrites. Why? Well, I think one reason is because the nation of Israel is comprised of 12 tribes. And Matthew was from one of those tribes. Now, some people think Matthew is from the tribe of Levi. Levi is the tribe that all the priests came out of. It was the Levitical tribe of the priests. So if he was from the tribe of Levi, get this, Matthew grew up watching professional religion in action. Now, some people think he was from the tribe of Judah. What's significant about the tribe of Judah? Anybody know? It was the tribe that the Messiah would come from. Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah, the chosen one, the Holy One of God would come from the tribe of Judah. And so there could have been some arrogance behind that tribe thinking, well, you know, the Holy One's going to come from us, so we're a little bit better than everybody else. Either way, from what Matthew saw growing up in the religious scheme of the day, he walked away from it. There was something that he saw about the professional religion of his day that he chose to walk away from. He became a tax collector. He became a tax collector. You can't get further away from God's people than being a Jew as a tax collector. You, you can't. See, this was a choice of a Jew to extort money from his own people to prop up the Roman government. That was opposing them, that was oppressing them. So what Matthew apparently saw the hypocrisy of religion and walked away from it as far as he could get. I wonder how many could tell that same story today. You've seen the hypocrisy of organized religion and your responses be deconstruct everything that you thought you knew to walk away from it completely. Well, please understand what Matthew meant when he used the word hypocrite. Please, uh, the word hypocrite is a theater word. It's a theatrical word. It means literally to play the role of. That's what hypocrite means. So please understand, a hypocrite is not someone who's following Jesus and fails. That's not a hypocrite. You know what that is? That's human. It's not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is one who says they never fail and they're better than everybody else. That's a hypocrite. So Jesus says this. Understand what he's saying. You can do the most spiritual thing possible. Pray. Just playing a role. And if your prayers come from the heart of one who's playing a role, guess what? They're of no effect. 
See, Jesus boils everything about prayer down to relationship. And without a relationship with the Father through Jesus, there is no prayer. So the goal is to build a relational habit before the day of evil shows up. Now, we started this whole thing talking about the day of evil, right? When all hell's breaking out against your life. The goal is to have this relational aspect in place before that day of evil arrives. See, a lot of people want to pray, pray when they're under attack, but they're not consistent in the relationship before the attack. Do you understand? So many people just go about their lives as if they're large and in charge until that day hits. And then once they're under attack, boy, they want to pray. And they want other people to pray. Well, guess what? If prayer is about this relationship that's already in place, and if that isn't in place, you're going to be hard-pressed to get heaven to move on your behalf. Paul gives this word. He says, pray in the Spirit. When Paul says pray in the Spirit, he means to dwell in the Spirit and have the Spirit. When you dwell in the Spirit, the Spirit dwells in you. And that's not mystical. All it means is that the Spirit of God is at home in your life. And so it's real easy to assess. Is the Spirit of God at home in your life? It means we don't flow in and out and in and out and in and out in our relationship with Him. You don't flow in a relationship and out of relationship and to be. That's not the kind of relationship that will release heaven's power in your day of evil. Do you understand that? Prayer is so much about a relationship. See, Jesus said that prayer, prayer is to be a personal encounter with Father. And it's by grace that we have access to that encounter. Prayer is to be a personal encounter with Father, and it's by grace that we have access to that encounter. See, here's the thing. Now, get this. To approach God in the day of evil is to approach, without approaching beforehand, to approach God in the day of evil is to approach God for his behavior, what he can do for you. Now, logically, God will then respond to you based on your behavior as well. How's that going to go? Like to not have this ongoing intimate relationship with God, then the day of evil comes, and then to approach him in the day of evil means all you want him is for what he can do for you. So logically then, his response to you will also then be based on your behavior and what you can do for him. Let me tell you this. None of us are going to bode well in that transaction. See, it's because grace that God has given us and that he has given us that we take the opportunity even beforehand to live in relationship with him. So Jesus says, don't be like two groups. Don't be like the, the, the what do you say? Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pagans, right? Don't be like the religious. Don't be like the pagans. The religious people, he said, don't, don't be like, he said, those are people who just pray religiously. Use big words, use a bunch of these and thous and, 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 and shout nots. And like when you talk to God in a way that is not at all like you would talk to anybody that's praying religiously, he said, don't do that. 
But he also says, don't pray like the pagans. You know what pagans are? Pagans are people with no relationship with Jesus. So obviously he's addressing people who have no relationship with Jesus. He said, and when you who have a relationship with Jesus, pray like those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. It, you know that you're praying like a pagan when you babble and use a lot of words. When we pray using a lot of words, just because we think by a lot of words, God's going to hear us. We're praying like people don't have a relationship with Jesus. Understand. Repetitive words does not mean increased rewards. There's plenty of times in Scripture that says, just let your words be few. You're standing before God Almighty. You don't got to use a lot of words. Let your words be few. I, I need to say this too. Prayer is not for the transmission of information. Like you don't need to give God a lot of backstory to the issue. And if you've been around church people long enough, you know, because I've been around them a long time. You know, when you hear praise, you know, Jesus, Peggy just lost her dog. And it was a collie, about six years old. And it was a good dog. It was a pretty dog. Someone left the gate open. And God, you know, the collie got out. Now, they live in a good neighborhood, but sometimes there's a lot of traffic. And so, like, Jesus doesn't need all that information. Like, that has nothing to do with anything. Jesus is like, oh, right, the collie. I thought you were talking about the beagle. I didn't know. Like, it's, it doesn't work that way. What about Jesus' prayers made them so powerful? I'll tell you. What made them so powerful is that there was the, the ingesting of Scripture and there was an intimacy of a habit. There was the ingesting of Scripture and the intimacy of a habit. You might want to write that one down. That one's a good one. The ingesting of Scripture and the intimacy of a habit. See, the engine of Jesus' activity is that he had this relationship with the Word of God, Scripture. And he had a relationship with the Father through prayer. The ingesting of Scripture and the intimacy of a habit. You want to limit God's activity in your life? Some of you have done this a lot. Let me tell you how you're doing it. You've limited Scripture in your life and you've limited your prayers. See, Jesus knew the will of the Father. Because he knew scripture. And guess what? I started with this. God hasn't changed. He's the same God. Jesus knew the will of the Father because he knew the scriptures. We can too. And Jesus knew what to do because Jesus had this intimate habit of prayer. So by the time it came to act, by the time Jesus walked up on an opportunity, by the time an opportunity presented it to Jesus, Jesus didn't have to pray about the direction of what God wanted to do. He didn't have to pray, God, if you're willing, would you please do this for this person? Because it was through the knowledge of God's word and the fellowship with the Father through prayer that when the opportunity presented itself, when the request came, boom, he could act with confidence, he could act with authority, he could act with certainty. He could act with decisiveness. The only time Jesus prayed, if it be your will. Do you remember? See, when he was in the garden, he's looking at going to the cross. And he did pray, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Here's the thing. He already knew the Father's will. Time and time and time again, he said, my hour hadn't come. He knew the Father's will. He just wanted a different outcome. But he submitted to the Father's will regardless. You will not find Jesus praying, God, what is your will, if this be your will, because he didn't know. 
So before we get to the how-tos of Jesus' teaching, we have got to understand prayer is the reflection of the relationship that's already in place. Prayer is the reflection of the relationship that is already in place in the heart of one who's following Him. When I talk about the relationship that's already in place, please understand, I'm talking about authenticity, not longevity. Your relationship with Jesus is based on authenticity, not longevity. Someone can be in church reading the Bible for 20, 30, 40 years and not have a real authentic relationship with Him. This is why prayers of children are so profound. Because there's just this authenticity of faith, this authenticity of belief, this authenticity of trust. They haven't been let down by life. They haven't had wrong expectations of a wrong Jesus all their life and been let down time and time and time again and now doubt his word. There's just this authenticity of faith in little children. I remember when I was starting the church, I'd often at times ask Caleb and Wyatt, just pray, just pray, just pray. Because I knew that there was an authenticity in them. The heart of a child. So I'm not talking about a relationship that's reflected by longevity. I'm talking about a relationship with God that's reflected by authenticity. That's why someone who can come to Jesus today and immediately in authenticity of that relationship get God to move on their behalf. And I also know this, that prayer is the response of what's already in the Word of God. Prayer is the response of what is already, that's already in here. It's our response to this and God's response through this. It's just a response to what's already there. Deuteronomy 32, 47. I have this written on the, on the front of my Bible. It's on a post-it note right here. It says, these are not idle words for you. These are your life, and by them you will live long in the land. His word is so crucial to our lives and to our prayers. These these, these are not idle words. They are our life, and by them we will live long in the land according to God's plan. These are not idle words. And prayer is a response to what's already in here. So we search the Scriptures to know the promises of God that are already in His Word that He's made known. And we search the Scriptures to know what is His heart so that in that moment of need and in that day of evil and in the moment to act, we already know God's intent. There are so many times in the Bible where God's people spoke and commanded and prayed and made proclamation of what they already knew without stopping to pray, God, what is your will? Because they knew God's heart already because they knew his word already because they had this relationship with the father they didn't have to ask him about what his will was and I just wonder how many times we're asked to pray or we have a need and our first reaction is to pray and pray and pray and seek God what do you want what do you want if it's your will I don't know I hope so what does that say about the relationship that's being reflected See, without Scripture and without knowing God's heart and knowing God's desire, prayer is simply no more than begging and playing religious lottery. Without knowing Scripture and without knowing God's heart, desire, and intent, prayer is just babbling and playing the religious lottery like I hope it works, I hope he shows up, I hope he does something. It's so desperate. And it was never meant to be that way. See, here, I, I, I know I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta wrap this up. I, I could talk about this for a long time, man. 
There's so much here to know. There's so much for us to learn. There's so much for us to put into practice. But here's the thing. When those relationship aspects are in place, Ephesians 3.12 is in play. When those relationship aspects are in place, Ephesians 3.12 is in play. Here's what's in play. In Him and through faith in Him. That's Jesus. In Jesus and through faith in Jesus. That's the relationship. In Jesus and through faith in Jesus. Because that relationship, we may approach God with what? With freedom and confidence. We can approach God's throne of grace with freedom and confidence. Does that describe your prayer life? If not, there might be something out of joint with your relationship. When we pray, there's freedom. There's freedom from form. There's freedom from ritual. There's freedom from format. There's freedom from procedure. There's complete freedom. There's no pretense. And when you pray because of that relationship through faith in Jesus, there's confidence that you know that you're heard, that there's no need to beg him. What child with the loving father has to beg his daddy for what he needs? There's no reason to beg. So that we call with confidence on what God has already declared and said in his word. When those relationships are in place, Ephesians 3.12 is in play. But also, Hebrews 4.16 is in play. I love this verse. Let us then, because that relationship that's in place, approach God's what? His throne of what? His throne of behavior? No. His throne of activity? No. His throne of goodness? No. Approach what? His throne of grace. Why? Why would we want to approach this throne of grace with confidence and freedom? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us win in our time of need. This is what's at stake in prayer. With freedom and confidence because of my relationship with God that I don't flow in and out of, in and out of, in and out of. In this relationship where he's at home in my heart, with freedom and confidence, I approach this throne of grace because it's there that I know with confidence and with freedom, not because of my behavior, that I will receive mercy and grace to help me when I'm in need. It's amazing. See, God's throne of grace is accessible through relationship. It's not His throne of earned answered prayer because you did something right. It's just the grace to receive His favor and His blessings because of the relationship through faith. Do you realize the opportunity we have in prayer because of a relationship. Now watch this. If those relationships are, uh, uh, issues are in place, look at what else is in play. Romans 5.2. Now I'm going to unpack this one a little bit. This is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I don't know how you have a favorite verse of Scripture. I'd say the other ones aren't your favorite. And I don't know how God feels about that. But I really like this one a lot. This is what it says. Through whom, that's Jesus, we have access by, not behavior, by faith, into his grace. That's how the New King Jimmy Version says it. Now, this is what this means as, as you unpack it. What it means is that through him, Jesus, we have confidently entered into this new relationship of what? Of behavior? No. Of religion? No. Of performance? No. This relationship of grace. And here in grace, we take our stand. We're unmoved. In happy certainty, certainty, confidence, 
of the glorious things that he has for us in the future. Confident that he has glorious things for us in the future. Here's how another version says it. By putting our trust in God, he has given us his loving favor. Here's what this means. When you go back to the Greek words and you understand what it's saying here, here's what it means. Through Jesus, get this, I love this verse. Through Jesus, we have access into, not to, but into, not for, but into God's grace by which His grace, God is favorably disposed towards me. Do you know what that means? God is favorably, because of His grace, disposed towards me. And if you have a relationship with him, by his grace, he's favorably disposed towards you. How does that change things? If you watch around knowing that God is favorably disposed towards us, if God is favorably disposed towards you, what are the implications of the blessings that he wants to bestow on you? Think about it. If God is favorably disposed towards you, what are the implications that he's waiting to do through your prayers? If God is favorably disposed towards you, what are the implications of how you would start praying? If you knew and were convinced in freedom and confidence because of the grace that he was favorably disposed towards, how would that change your prayers and expectation? If you knew that he was favorably disposed towards you, what are the implications with the freedom and confidence with which you'd pray? You understand what's in play here? I really wish we had a room full of people. Yeah. Because I feel like, I, thank you, I feel like I'm preaching pretty good right now. I'm feeling like this could be transformational for so many of us. If God is favorably disposed towards us, how much more would we want to know the promises that are already in his word for us? If he's favorably disposed towards us, with what confidence would he call on those promises in our lives? Not because we're good. Not because we can manipulate. You can't manipulate God's hand. It's not some prosperity thing where you say, God, I command your hand. This is by his grace that he's favorably disposed towards us. And we submit to his will, whatever that is. See, grace is the foundation that prayer is built on. Prayer is not built on merit. Prayer is not built on behavior. It's not confusing. It's grace. It's simple. And it's on the throne on which God sits. And it's the entryway into his activity. It's just grace. I feel as though this could be one of the most important series that I preach. Because it has everything to do with your connection to heaven. We have so little idea of the authority that is ours by grace. We have so little idea of the freedom that is ours by grace. We have so little idea of the power that we have access to by grace. And all of that comes to life through prayer. This is so important. And so for now, we will approach His throne of grace with freedom and with confidence certain that we are favorably disposed that he is favorably disposed towards us calling on his promises already revealed in his word knowing that guess what we'll receive mercy and and grace in our time of need it's a big deal let me close with this 
Y'all might want to come up here because unless you're up here, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep preaching. Get this. It's by grace that we receive grace. Grace is God's favor. And it's by his favor that we receive his favor. It's by grace that we receive grace. Grace to what? Grace to approach his throne through prayer. Grace to what? Grace to access the promises of God through prayer. Grace to receive in our day of need, in our time of need, in that day of evil. Now, His grace will look different at different times in different scenarios and different people. It might be the grace to remove that evil day. It might be the grace to deliver us through the evil day. Or it might be the grace to strengthen us to endure the evil day. Either way, it's grace at God's hand. To remove it, to get us through it, or to give us strength in the midst of it. I was, and I still am really debating if I'm going to close my message with this. Um, and I think I'm going to, because here's the deal. If you don't want to come back, just don't tune in. Um, but but I, I told you earlier that I was going to push the envelope a little bit. That it wasn't going to be a polite series on prayer. And I want to introduce something to our church uh, that we don't talk about very much. I believe it wholeheartedly. I practice it in my own life, but I don't talk about it very much. There's a passage of Scripture that tells us, it's a promise of God, that we have been given the keys of God's dominion. Now don't get freaky on this, it's just the Bible. That we've been told that we've been given the keys of His kingdom, the keys of His dominion. That means His rulership, His leadership, His power, His authority. That we've been given those keys and that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a promise in the scripture. And it's not talked about a lot in churches like ours. We just don't go down that road very much. And like I said, I'm not talking about a prosperity thing at all. I'm talking about a biblical thing. And this is something that some of you need to latch on to. You need to understand who you are in Christ and who Jesus is. And this might be for one person out there right now who's listening to me, but if it's for that one person, I want to give it to you. Now, we've been given the keys of the dominion of God. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, or the loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Here's what that means. If you're in that evil day, now I'm not talking about, you know, I bind a Mercedes and I, you know, I lose a million dollars in my life. That's not what I'm talking about. That's stupid. What I am talking about is if you're in that evil day and you really do want to be free, you really do want to live with liberty, and you really do want to live in the blessing of God's grace, and you really do want to be freed from fear and from lust and from infirmity and from bondage, realize that it is by grace that you have been given access to the throne of grace. And the promise is that you've been given keys of the dominion of God. 
And you can come to the throne of grace with freedom and with confidence, knowing the promises of God that is already gifted to you and laying hold of those promises, not because you deserve it, not because you try to manipulate his hand in his working life, but just simply through grace and understanding that then you pray with freedom and with confidence, knowing that before the throne of grace you will receive mercy and you will find grace to help you in your time of need. And so you say, Biblically, God, because of the grace that you've given me and the authority that you've given me, because you've placed the keys of your dominion in my hand, I bind the spirit of fear that has already gripped my life in the midst of this COVID-19, and I incarcerate the spirit of fear, and I incarcerate and I bind up and I chain up the spirit of depression that has wrapped itself around my heart and my life that I cannot get free from, because I know it doesn't come from you, and it only comes from an evil one, and you've given me keys to your dominion, and by those keys, I bind up the spirit, even that causes infirmity of, of me that is at the hand of the evil one, not from your hand. And you say, Father, because of the keys that you've given me of your dominion, then I proclaim now that I am loosed from the infirmity at the hand of the evil one that he has over my life. And I make proclamation that I am now free from lust and I am free from fear and I am free from depression that I declare by the keys of your dominion that those chains have been loosed from me. And I don't walk in that anymore and I'm not chained to that anymore. That the spirit that has bound me bounds me no more. And it's not a prosperity thing. It's not a manipulation thing. It's just simply, this is what God has said is accessible for us through his word because of his grace. And I'm telling you, friends, and I'm telling you, church, that when we understand who Jesus is and who we are in him and start to move in that faith, not calling on our own desires, but just accessing the word of God, that then because of that relationship, it moves heaven's hand and heaven starts to show up in our reality. And the unseen and spiritual starts to have effect on the seen and physical. And the seen and physical, when it's seen and physical, starts to move and to change primarily because the unseen and spiritual has been tapped into. That is what is at stake in prayer. If you have a relationship with Christ, that's why I want to invite you in this moment to put yourself in a position, not because of longevity of faith, but authenticity of relationship that you make yourself open to and you make heaven accessible to you so in this moment pray with me right now in the quietness of this moment say father in authenticity I want to be joined to you and I want heaven to open up in my life and I've tried so long and so hard to do it on my own and it hasn't worked and I know I need you. And when I've tried it on my own, I've fallen into traps and to sin. Forgive me. In this moment, I accept you as the leader of my life. And by faith in your grace, I now gain access to your throne of grace because it is that, tell them, because it is there that I know that I will receive mercy and find grace to help me in my time of need. Father, this is my time of need. You are God. I am not. Move at your hand according to your word in my life. 
for your name's sake, for your kingdom's sake, let it come on earth and it is done in heaven. Amen. Let's sing.